You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on RBMA Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. Today we have a very special guest, Zemi17 who's a recording artist on the Bunker New York. He has an EP coming out, his second EP for the label in a couple weeks. You're hearing the title track in the background right now from that EP, it's called Zipper. And he's gonna be joining us in about a half an hour for a live set in an interview. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I'm gonna play you some music. You're listening to the Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Right now, the Peter Van Hoosen remix of B-Mask off of the new Time to Express uh, stealth compilation. For that, a track from Romans off their forthcoming album, I think out this summer on The Bunker New York. Not sure we've played or announced that one publicly yet. Uh, For that, Pale Blue with Acid Wave on Mike Simonetti's 2MR label, I believe also a fairly new release, and start the show off with Zemi 17 and Zipper on the Bunker New York, and we'll be joined in about 15 minutes here with a live set from Zemi. Got a few more tracks for you in the meantime. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Uh, the track we're coming out of now is Ulysses, Object of Interest. Also upcoming on The Bunker New York, probably May, June, you know, whenever it's done. Before that, uh, Alpha 606, We Leave Tonight, Erica Remix on our good friends Interdimensional Transmissions label. Um, some announcements, and all of this information is on our website, thebunkerny.com. We announced two records this week. Derek Plesleko's record, Exile on Sesame Strass, and Semi 17's record, Zipper. And Zemi is going to be joining us in a minute here. Actually, I think we're already hearing him in the background. And upcoming parties, we've got two to announce, uh, on both at Good Room. On April 22nd, we have Voices from the Lake live. It will be their only East Coast performance this year. Leah Farlegoff from Giggling also playing live. Zemi17 playing live and myself in the Good Room. And in the Bad Room, we have Stefan Beneman, who's the guy behind Digital Festival. And Oddskier, our old friend Tom from Razumu with live visuals from Optic Veil. And then, of course, we should announce we have an event with RBMA in May, on May 7th. It's uh, Deck Mantel at the Bunker with Juju and Jordash, Joey Anderson, Palms Track, Dex Mantel Sound System, myself, Antennas, and Clay Wilson. Again, more info on all that on our website at thebunkerny.com. Stay tuned. We're still here for another hour and a half. I'm going to be uh, listening to Zemi17 live You're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.
Red Bull Music Academy Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. For the past hour plus, you've been listening to a live set from Zebby17, who's joining us here now in the studio. He has an EP coming out on The Bunker in just a couple weeks. Pre-orders are already up on our Bandcamp for digital and vinyl. And he's playing at Good Room at The Bunker on the 22nd or the 23rd the 22nd with voices from the lake leah Farlegoff and myself should be a pretty trippy night psychedelic techno so thank you for that that was awesome <laughs> yeah i know happy to play it's a good setting yeah so we usually start the interview by asking what's like what gear you're using in here how are you how are you doing this performance since our okay. listeners can't see anything yeah um pretty simple uh i'm running an old version of ableton uh, <laughs> which version um i'm at eight are they what are they on now i don't know okay um so uh i have an old version of ableton with um just an old apc which is also from a few years ago. I haven't done much qu- equipment updated in, in years. I felt like it got to a point where this was good enough for me. I don't need to keep yeah. buying more stuff. So, uh, so I just kind of yeah. froze in like 2010. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you don't keep fill the landfill every year. A little yeah. bit more, some more plastic and electronics. Yeah, so that, that's it. I uh, just have this kind of very colorful uh, Ableton Live file and uh, the APC40. Um, that's all I was jamming on. And is that what are when you're in the studio creating the work? Is or is, is it the same setup? Uh, kind of. There's I separate the process into different parts. The first part is is sampling. Um, so everything I was just playing for not everything, but I'd say ninety five percent were samples. Um, samples and that you made. Samples that I made. Cool. Yeah. So that's how I start. Is I start thinking about what sounds turn me on, and then I go and record them. Um, in my shop, I have all these gongs and gamelan instruments and, you know, pieces of wood that I like the way they sound and ripping paper and, you know, whatever kind of things that, uh, sound interesting to me. And then I record them and then I manipulate the samples in to something that sounds even more interesting and sometimes doesn't resemble what I started with at all. Right. And then, uh, and then I start putting these different samples together. Usually, you know, a few bass ones, a few, a few high ones, a few staccato ones, a few long ones, and then you know, retune them, twist them around, until uh, I have like the the elements of a song. And then I start sequencing them together. And uh, once I kind of have them all sequenced together, I just melt them back into kind of samples again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I uh, and then I do pretty much so what I did t- uh, today. So that's the same way that I record the tracks. Is pretty much so just improving with all the elements that I put together. So it's pretty much the track, like a finished track, is something that you do in a take. Then I mean, there's all this prep work that goes into it, yeah. but then the track is. Yeah. If if I mean I really nail it, then I do it in a take. Usually I get it pretty close to where I want it and, um, you know, I record all my my actions in Ableton and then I'll go back in and say, oh, you know, I think it'd be cooler if this went four bars longer or I think it'd be cooler if like all these dropped out at the same time and I'll go back and kind of, um, you know, with a little bit of an eraser and draw a couple extra things in there and kind of just fine tune it. But I'd say I get maybe 75 or 80 percent of the way from just a, a live take. 
Right. Have you always worked with your own samples like this? Was there ever a time where you were using sample packs or generating sounds in the computer? Or has it always been important to you or part of your process to be using your own sounds? Because that's, that's something that I think makes you really unique. I don't think uh, most people are doing that necessarily. You know, uh, I've never been asked that question. Uh, I guess I didn't really think about it too much. Okay, so when I started doing, you know, creating electronic music, electronic compositions and stuff, um, my first tool was really a, um, it's like a tape deck. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, so the answer would be yes. <laughs> uh, and then I, I graduated up to, um, to like a, an, an MPC. You know, I was rocking like the Akai with the pads and stuff. And I remember I got a disc once that had some like a sample pack in it. And um, and that was cool because it helped me understand a bit about compression and things like that and how a proper sample should sound if it's going to like, you know, cut through the air in the right way. And so I would use that sample pack against the sounds that I would make as kind of a litmus test to be like, ooh, my sample's not compressed right because it's not punching through. But what it ended up making me do is it made me listen to sounds that we find everywhere. And then I would think, ooh, if I did this, this, and this to it, that'd be a great kick, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, and then, you know, over time, I build up this massive library of, like, samples and twisted stuff here and there. And, like, I would go travel, and I wouldn't travel with a camera. I could travel with, like, a... Um, at the time, I had these little binaural microphones and a mini disc, you know, and uh, and then I come back and I kind of listen to what I recorded, which would be just walking down the street and different things like that. And I pick out all the different elements. So it's like, ooh, that was a great potential hi hat right there. Right? Right. That was a great something. And so the sample packs and the way that they're structured, where it's kind of like you know you have your kick and your your uh, snares and then your hi hats and then you have your like baseline parts and things. I started adapting that formula to the way that I would listen to sound, and then I would kind of build my own sound banks loosely based off their packs. But I never really thought about it that way. I'm thinking about it that way now. Yeah. Um, so the the short answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of people that I know who produce actually do that with their finished tracks. Mm-hmm. They're listening to finished mastered tracks and comparing what they did to that to see if they're in the right, right. like if it's making that like as you said like cutting the air and yeah doing what it needs to do properly which is which is an art on itself to to, to be honest like and i'm not a, a a master of it you know there are people that can just you know they know how to shape sound and model sound in a way that um you know yeah, this is mastering. This is this is really high-end mastering. Yeah. So what I try to do, because I'm not a great masterer, is master all my sounds and my samples in a way that um, when I put them all together, they sound great and I don't have to do much mastering. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, because I'm not a master of the mastering art. But I think I do okay. Yeah, you, you know? do okay. And then, well, for the bunker we have, then it goes through Neil, then yeah. it goes through Tim Xavier. There's yeah. like a few levels of... Right, guys who Audio are good wizards. At it. Yeah, who <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's their you know their special skill. So um, and they make you make it sound better, obviously. Yeah. So so you briefly kind of hinted at your other big project uh, when you're talking about your studio, which is the Gamalatron, which I mentioned this to people, and it seems like a lot of people are not aware of this project or All what right. it is. So what's give us the like 
Yeah. Condensed um, version of what the, the elevator pitch or whatever, sure, what sure. the Gamelatron is. So what I do all day, I'm kind of a mechanic, <laughs> um, <laughs> is I create sonic kinetic sculptures. And how I do that is I take Indonesian gamelan instruments, which are these bronze gongs and keys, metallophones from, uh, from Java and Bali, and I retrofit them with mechanical mallets. And then I create sculptures that they can live inside of. And then using uh, physical computers, I take uh, compositions that I write and then transpose them into little electrical pulses that go out to the robotic mallets that can play back my songs on actual acoustic instruments. Um, the tunings are really unique, so it's not like, you know, C is not MIDI note 36 or anything. Um, and uh, even the sonic spaces are really unique. I try to write compositions for the space in which the instruments and the artworks are in so that they respond to the acoustics. So it's a different concept of mastering where you're trying to master uh, electronic music so it sounds great on a sound system or in a studio, etc. This, I'm trying to make it sound great in the room. And so I write the composition specifically for that acoustic space. And it's not supposed to be really transposed to any other space. So a lot of times when I set up these things, I'll, I'll write a whole new suite of music for every room that it goes into. Right. Do you write the music before you install it? Or you install it and then hear what it sounds like in the room and that's when you um, write the music? No, I, uh, I usually set up a bunch of ideas before I install it, just so they have something to play with, so I'm not starting absolutely at zero when I get into the room, but um, the composition happens in the, in the room. Sometimes I'll, I'll write some pieces of music and I might have a similar gamelatron uh, as far as its tonality or the number of gongs or something like that, and I'll try to kind of adapt a piece of music that I, that I wrote in a different setting, um, which can work but doesn't always work. So the closest I get to being able to use things that were written before would be an adaptation with an extra sensitivity to that space. But for the most part, I go in with a bunch of kind of sequences and tools all set up and arranged so that uh, I can go there and just you know be creative and really, for me, really listen. I think that's the most Im important thing is let the character of both the instruments, uh, which would be the, the gongs, and even the robotics and how they move and what kind of sounds they make, and then the acoustics of the room be the guide to what kind of music you're going to make. So it's like a, you know, it's kind of like chef's challenge, you know, <laughs> like, here are your ingredients. And yeah. then I do my best to, um, to be sensitive to that. And it makes it, for me, it makes everything so much more special. Because how often do we have, like, acoustic instruments made for the specific acoustic space you're in. And it lets some of the uh, sonic phenomena uh, be exposed in a way that sometimes we, we don't get when all we do is listen to, you know, mastered music through speakers. Through, yeah, through Or, God, stereo. even worse, you know, like, da you know, degraded uh, bit depths of music on crappy speakers, you yeah. know? MP3s on a dock seems to be kind of the yeah. default when I go over to someone's house for a dinner party these yeah. days. And I'm like, ouch. That's... But, it, you know, it's come a long way, you know? I mean, the docks are, you know, sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, these, you know, even with speakers, because, you know, I also own a big sound system that I don't take out too yeah. much, but that the bunker has played yeah, on many still, times. Do you still, do you guys still, do you and Doc still do that yeah well, we own a big sound system it was in storage yeah. uh, for a long time um i think my brother's gonna do an event in long island city 
uh, which I need to talk to you about, um, which is going to have at some point, I think, uh, a 48-hour continuous, uh, like, ambient happening. Right. Um, with, like, uh, probably, we'll probably set up a quadraphonic or an eight-point eight sound system, which will be our system. And, um, yeah, so only on rare occasions do we bring the sound system out, but we still own it. Yeah, um, so some background for those of you who don't know. If you came to the bunker at Public Assembly when we were there years ago, that was uh, Zemi and his partner Doc did the sound system, sound reinforcement, rather, sound. really. In the, well, m- mostly the sound system and <laughs> a little bit of sound from the crappy speakers we that never were in knew. there. <laughs> we never knew what was going to work or not, so we, uh, yeah, we never went light on the gear we brought. Right. So when when did you move to New York exactly? Like I... uh, I'm actually from New York. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, I went to high school up, upstate, actually, in uh, Hyde Park, which is right next to, next to Poughkeepsie. Okay. As an adult, I came back um, in 97, I guess. And uh, from 97 until 2002, uh, was really busy, active, for me, it was probably the time where I partied the most and threw the most parties. And that and was like events. the time of Havoc and Black Hat and all that. Yeah, and I had a group called Ransom Corp, which was more right. like theatric happenings. Uh, and we did a lot of outlaw parties. Um, this was also a time where a lot of Brooklyn, at least past Williamsburg, was the Wild West. So we you could do anything. We, we and we did. Uh, I had a pirate radio station for many years uh, in South Williamsburg. (laughs) That was a hell of a lot of fun. I forgot about that. Um, Yeah. Uh, And then I ended up moving to Berlin um, and was produced a big multimedia art festival there and stayed for a bit and then ended up moving to Indonesia for several years. And I didn't come back till like 2007. How did you get from this to and then I moved to Indonesia? Like what? Ha- what happened there? Yeah, it seems nonlinear, but it is kind of <laughs> linear for anyone who's done a Berlin winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, the person I was dating at the time was she was like, I'm not doing winter here. <laughs> like this sucks, you know. And she's like, Indonesia sounds great. There's like 17,000 islands and it's warm. Let's do that. And so very naively we did that. And uh, I ended up staying for many years. She ended up moving back to Berlin. And uh, were you yeah. were you interested in gamelan music before you went there, or did you discover it when you arrived? You know, I've asked myself this many times. I know I knew it existed, and I had definitely heard it because I even lived for a while with a guy named David Simons, who uh, is in gamelan Son of Lion, and right. he's a very good gamelan player. Um, and uh, so I know I had heard it, but I wasn't particularly interested in it. And even the first six months I was in Indonesia, I traveled to the places where there was no gamelan. Right. And so I wasn't interested in it. I wasn't seeking it out. And then uh, after traveling a lot, I had one friend who I kept meaning to visit, who I finally visited, uh, named uh, Noe Sunflowerfish or uh, DJ Sunflowerfish. She was part of the Spaz crew out in San Francisco, which yep. was like a free techno crew in the mostly in the 90s. And she was studying gamelan in a city called Joke Jakarta. And after like traveling in Indonesia for six months, I just popped in on her to see what she was up to. And I remember her taking me to the school where she was studying and started showing me these instruments. And they were amazing. You know, just the the purity of their sound. Also, the thing that really got me was, uh, like I had traveled through Africa and I had done some studies, ethnomusicology kind of studies and things like that. 
And I don't remember any other tradition that had, like, sonically such a deep sound. Like, when yeah. you get into, when you're talking electronic music and you're talking kick drums and things like that, you know, they're mostly in, like, the mid-40s and 50s, depending on, you know, Psytrance or something even pumps it up even higher in order to, like, have a real pop, you yeah. know. But um, traditional music, folk music, not that Gamelon's necessarily folk music, but, uh, you know, no, nobody was playing in the 40 hertz range. You know, like that's sub bass. Yeah. You know, um, that's like below, you know, you buy expensive speakers and they only go down to like 60, you know, at yeah. lowest and they sound bad. So this is beneath that. And so I, you know, I remember walking in this room and there's these giant like meter wide gongs that were resonating in the 40 hertz range. I was like, God, this is amazing, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I think I was hooked. And so for the next few years, I just spent um, learning the music and getting into the instruments, learning how they make the instruments and learning the music tr classically. And then when I came back from Indonesia, I started um, kind of trying electronic music again. I had maybe a three-year hiatus where my laptop had got stolen and I just let that go and decided, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to play the, you know, <laughs> play, play acoustically. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to bang on these metal objects instead. <laughs> and then uh, and then around like 2006 or five, I, I started... Um, I had all these samples of gamelan instruments where I was trying to study their like tuning system. And then those mixed with trying to make myself make practice aids, I started making like a kind of gamelan sampler before I guess now those exist. And, uh, and then I would play songs, like kind of sequence them. And then, so I could practice with the songs. So I'd have a couple instruments in my house and then I'd make kind of like a click track with with like gamelan songs for me to be able to, you know, be a good student and stuff. And all that <laughs> accidentally was kind of laying the groundwork for what obviously came after, which is making essentially like these minimal techno influenced uh, beat structured songs, but with all these gongs and insects and these strange sounds substituting in for uh, for the hi hats and the uh, yeah, I remember uh, when you kits. did one of those sets actually in the front room of public assembly. I think you were just calling it insect techno at the yeah. time. You're like, I want to do the insect <laughs> techno set. It's like, yeah, that sounds good. You're like, yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you for joining us. We're yeah. definitely gonna have to have you back to talk more about Gamelon. And uh, in the coming in right now, you're hearing a new track from Derek Plesleko's EP yeah. on the Bunker New York. And throughout our interview, you've been hearing tracks from Zemi's new EP on the Bunker New York. And a lot of that material was in the live set you played as well. In some form. Yeah. yeah. So more info on all that at thebunkerny.com. And where where can people go to get more info on Well, there's semi17.com, which uh, is, you know, not the most spectacular site, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Uh, Bunker's taking care of it. And there's six tracks coming out um, in a couple weeks. Uh, and then gamelatron.com, which is uh, G-A-M-E-L-A-T-R-O-N. And I invented that word. So pretty much so just type into any search engine Gamelotron. that word and you will find what you're looking for. Cool. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Happy to, have, uh, happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. And we're going to end out the show here again, like I said, with a track from Derek Plesleko's new EP on The Bunker, New York. <laughs>